0: Hey gang, this week's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs. Hey, LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates that you want to talk to faster. Did you know that every week nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Post your job for free now at linkedin.com/goodseats. That's linkedin.com/goodseats to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply.
1: And now here's our show. The winter of 1981-82 could be characterized in one word for the city of Pittsburgh, rebirth. As Renaissance II saw new skyscrapers pushing their way up in the downtown area, another rebirth was taking place. This rebirth was in the civic arena where the Pittsburgh spirit returned to the city of Pittsburgh bringing major Indoor Soccer League action back with them. The Spirit had been forced to sit out the prior season, but Edward J. DeBartolo purchased the team over the summer, giving Pittsburghers the opportunity to once again enjoy professional indoor soccer. A newcomer to the professional sports scene in the United States, the Major Indoor Soccer League attracted over two million fans in this its fourth year of existence. One hundred and fifty-two thousand fans poured through the turnstiles at the Civic Arena, including the record crowd of ten thousand three hundred and sixty-six on March third to see the three-time champion New York Arrows. Virtually an expansion team, the spirit would go on to open the eyes of everyone around the MISL, proving that a first-year team could be a winner. In the process, word of their exploits spread throughout the Pittsburgh area. Soccer gained new fans, and a sports team had won the hearts of the city. John Kowalski was named head coach, and he and general manager Chris Wright had to put a team together from scratch. Welcome to Good Seats Still Available, a curious little podcast devoted to exploring what used to be in professional sports. Here's your host, Tim Hanlon.
0: Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, hello. That's uh, your pal Tim here. How you doing? It's Good Seats Still Available. No, it's not the Larry King Show. Uh, But uh, no, we appreciate your finding us. And uh, of course, this is the curious little podcast that is devoted to what used to be in professional sports. That's what we like to do here Good seats Still Available. My name is Tim Hanlon, and I appreciate your finding us, downloading us, putting us in your earbuds, ingesting us, however, uh, this week. Thanks for coming by. And uh, we are going to uh, just slightly, ever so slightly, adjust our GPS coordinates from last week's uh, place of domicile, the uh, great city of brotherly love, Philadelphia. Pennsylvania. We're going a little westward to the uh, at the Keystone's uh, sister city, I guess, perhaps. Uh, rival city for sure. Pittsburgh, PA. And uh, we are going to get into uh, yet another uh, memorable location of yore where sports and lots of other stuff. Uh, memories uh, just flood on in. And of course, it's the old Civic Arena, uh, later known as the Mellon Arena. Uh, But also uh, fondly, perhaps more fondly, remembered as the Igloo in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. The clip there at the beginning, uh, just one of the uh, many uh, franchises that uh, took place uh, in the uh, great city of Pittsburgh at the old Civic Arena, the Igloo. Uh, And uh, you want, of course, remember uh, the great Pittsburgh spirit as part of that, the MISL's Pittsburgh Spirit, interesting story in and of itself, Uh, and uh, that clip from uh, their, not not really their first season, it was actually their second season, uh, non-consecutive that. uh, Remember, the uh, Pittsburgh Spirit began their lives in uh, the Igloo uh, in the uh, premier uh, initial debut season of the major indoor soccer league, 1978 to seventy-nine. That first season, then they took a what they called a hiatus, uh, certainly something, a, a term that uh, I, I don't think any other <laughs> pro sports uh, league uh, really kind of uh, utilized. Uh, uh, and if they did, it uh, it really wasn't as oft used as it was in the realm of soccer, the NASL, the ASL, and certainly the MISL certainly used this, uh, I don't know, this, this term, uh, hiatus, uh, and the Pittsburgh spirit took advantage of it. Uh, after that first season, they came back in 1981, 82 uh, and had some really great years in those early 80s uh, at the Igloo. As you'll, uh, we'll hear in our conversation with our guest this week, Dave Finoli, um, you'll uh, understand that the spirit uh, on uh, more than a few occasions uh, were regularly outdrawing the Pittsburgh Penguins, the uh, more hallowed uh, member of the uh, Pittsburgh Civic Arena uh, tenantry. If you will, that's a word Um, uh, because the early 80s the Pittsburgh Penguins were uh, not so great and the spirit were uh, better than average on an occasion, uh, really good. And uh, that clip featuring the uh, dulcet tones of a one uh, J.P. Della Camera, our uh, episode number 66 guest, uh, then known as John Paul Della Camera. um, So with the narration, he was kind of the voice uh, for a bunch of years of the Pittsburgh spirit he was the voice of that uh, really interesting uh, uh, 16 millimeter, maybe, uh, film uh, commemorating uh, the 1981-82 version of the Pittsburgh Spirits, a highlight film. It's on YouTube. It's it's great uh, in its uh, basicness. But uh, it was clearly a a fun year for sure, the Pittsburgh Spirits history, and just a taste of what was to come in the uh, next uh, year or two. Uh, for that franchise, and frankly, again, just one of the uh, great stories that we're going to get into uh, about this—you uh, uh, know, this uh, this Civic Arena in Pittsburgh—a a, uh, uh, a, 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 an architectural wonder for sure. They had this sort of steel uh, retractable roof, if you can imagine, built in uh, or actually came to a fruition in 1961. It was then known as the Civic Aud- Auditorium. It actually predated. Uh, its use for sports. It was actually kind of created for use for uh, uh, for music. Uh, the, uh, the Metropolitan uh, 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 Opera and uh, Symphony, I believe, was uh, sort of all part of that, uh, later known as the Mellon Arena. But then it became known as the Civic Arena uh, in the 60s, uh, especially as uh, pro sports took a liking uh, to it. Not just pro sports, also uh, college basketball, for sure, with Duquesne uh and some other stuff but uh in 1961 uh perhaps uh, uh, not sort of on the radar of the uh, the builders of this uh, arena uh the Pittsburgh Rens of the American Basketball League uh, the topic we've talked about uh, the ABL lasting a season and a half uh, with the great Connie Hawkins uh the Pittsburgh Hornets of the uh, American Hockey League minor league um the uh, the opera of course was part of the uh the usage and arguably the original usage, but then we get into some really interesting use cases. Uh, again, the Duquesne Dukes of the NCAA basketball thing uh, for sure. But then we get into some fascinating uh, usage uh, and we're going to get into all of that with our, our conversations with the, uh, the great Dave Finoli uh, who is the um, editor of a fantastic book uh, called, well, I want to sure I get the uh, the official title correct here. It's called Pittsburgh's civic arena stories from the igloo and it's got just chock full of great stories from those teams and more such as the Pittsburgh Pipers and then later the Pittsburgh Condors both of the ABA American Basketball Association interesting stories there certainly the penguins uh arguably the uh, most recognizable and stable of all franchises obviously still going very strong thank you very much uh just uh, across the way in their uh more modern arena Uh, But, of course, they called the Igloo home, for sure. Um, The Pittsburgh Triangles of World Team Tennis. Remember them? The 1975 champion World Team Tennis team. They were the Pittsburgh Triangles. We get into that. The Spirit, the aforementioned major indoor soccer league uh, Pittsburgh Spirit, but also uh, later on the Pittsburgh Stingers of the CISL uh, uh, were indoor soccer inhabitants of the Igloo. Uh, The Pittsburgh Gladiators of the Arena Football League. They were, if you don't remember, one of the first four franchises in AFL history. As a matter of fact, little known little known uh, tidbit, if you remember some of our previous conversations about the AFL or the Arena Football League, really, um, uh, it was actually the first ever regular season game played there, Pittsburgh Gladiators, uh, in uh, 1987. The Pittsburgh Bulls of the Major Indoor Lacrosse League, remember them? The early 1990s uh, there, too. The RHI, the Roller Hockey International, had a team in uh, the Igloo for the summer of 1994, the Pittsburgh Phantoms. And uh, of course, even the Pittsburgh Crossfire of the then uh, renamed National Lacrosse League in 2000. And uh, even, yes, the very minor league at that time, Pittsburgh Explosion of the ABA in the uh, latter part of uh, the arena's life, 2005, 2006. All of those teams. And various other situations. Yes, looking at you, the 1976 uh, fans, if you will, of the fish that saved Pittsburgh. Yes, the igloo played a part in that too. We're going to get into all of that stuff and more with uh, our guest this week, Dave Finoli, uh, as we talk about the igloo, right? The Civic Arena, later known as the Mellon Arena of Pittsburgh, a memorable. Uh, place for great sports memories, and uh, you will enjoy this conversation for sure coming up in just a few moments' time. We look forward to sharing it with you. Uh, Before we do so, we want to uh, remind you that uh, our pals at OldSchoolShirts.com are ready, willing, and able to serve your holiday gift-giving needs. Uh, Promo code for you there at OldSchoolShirts.com is Good Seats. Good Seats is the promo code 10% off all of your purchases, and why do we highlight them this week? OldSchoolShirts.com, well, if you want to talk about just about every team that inhabited the igloo, the civic arena of Pittsburgh, well, you've come to the right place at OldSchoolShirts.com. How about some uh, great Pipers shirts, a couple of those for you there, Condors shirts there for you, Um, two shirts even uh, devoted to uh, the actual igloo itself. There's a great yellow one called, uh, it says the big igloo on it. Uh, and then there's another one that's got uh, the actual dates, a black shirt with some, um, uh, some. Uh, uh, so actually it's a white shirt. I'm sorry. It's a white shirt with sort of a black sort of uh, uh, imagery there called the igloo civic arena with the, with the dates on it and stuff. Just uh, amazingly great stuff uh, all around the history of Pittsburgh, not just sports, but Uh, All kinds of other things. Uh, If you want a Pittsburgh Gladiator shirt, remember them? The one-year wonder that that were in the USFL? Uh, Not many remember them, and perhaps maybe for a good reason. Uh, But the Pittsburgh Triangles, a great shirt there. Pittsburgh Stingers, the aforementioned CISL team. Uh, The Pittsburgh Spirit are commemorated in a great shirt. And on and on and on. There's there's, uh, radio stations uh, from Pittsburgh's past uh, there. Uh, just all kinds of great stuff. And again, just a real sampling, frankly, of, of all the great stuff you will find at oldschoolshirts.com in the domain of sports, in the domain of pop culture and media and restaurants and bars and all kinds of fun stuff. Uh, you know what? You love it. You can't live without it. There's new stuff all the time, new old stuff. If you will at oldschoolshirts.com promo code, good seats, 10% off all of your purchases visit them early and often and what better place uh, you will find you will not find, I guess for uh, great uh, holiday gifts uh, appropriately priced uh, and uh, just wonderful memories for uh, fans of sports and uh, and pop culture just about every city and region in the country uh, you will love it. thank you to our pal PF Wilson uh, and uh, his team uh, for uh, sponsoring our show as always. And uh, we look forward to uh, more great stuff in the new year with our pals at OldSchoolShirts.com. All right, let's get into our discussion, our fascinating, intriguing uh, uh, dialogue, shall we say, about the Civic Arena, the igloo, Pittsburgh's indoor uh, wonderland, shall we say, of sports. Here it comes. Here's our conversation with Dave Finoli. We had just a couple of days back. Please, as always, sit back and enjoy.
2: I am um, um, an author. I'm a lifelong Pittsburgh sports fan, grew up uh, about a half hour outside the city, and um, you know, I've lived and and died with uh, uh, these teams throughout my life. Um, I was a journalism student uh, and graduated with a degree at uh, Duquesne University, which is in uh, downtown uh, Pittsburgh, and... Really didn't. I went into retail after that. Didn't do anything till about 2000. Uh, was pretty much uh, coming up on my 40th birthday. Very frustrated of, of not ever doing anything with writing. I, I certainly loved writing. And my wife basically uh, uh, told me since I've I had this idea for a manuscript on um, baseball during World War II, which Actually, was my only non-Pittsburgh uh, book I did was my first one. It was called For the Good of the Country, and she told me either submit a, an idea or or just uh, let it go and and you know quit uh, quit wishing without doing anything in essence. So, kind of pushed me to send uh, the idea to McFarland Publishers, and I was lucky enough that they uh, were looking for such a title at the same time um on on uh baseball in world war ii and that was my first book and i am uh currently working on book number 36.
0: well one of the more recent ones uh came out uh just about a month or so ago uh caught my eye and uh, it's interesting that we're recording this the week we actually dropped uh our episode um on uh the spectrum in philadelphia um Lou Scheinfeld. Yeah, one of the sort of chief uh, uh, architects, if you will, uh, in terms of uh, getting uh, sort of the publicity and the teams and all that kind of stuff around that uh, iconic uh, arena. But one uh, just looks further westward in in, in the Keystone State and finds that, frankly, this uh, civic arena, probably even richer in terms of history, and certainly I think even maybe twice the amount of teams – uh both uh, currently and uh, around it, but also sort of long departed. Um, what? Yeah. Give me a sense of like how how the civic arena sort of hits your radar versus, say, I don't know, the hundredth book on the Pirates or maybe the second book on the Spirit. Uh, if you're looking at uh, Pittsburgh sports,
2: well, the civic arena was such a unique, <laughs> a unique entity. It called the igloo because it it basically looked like an igloo, and it was the first um, retractable uh, roof in a major uh, sports venue, uh, I believe, in the country. It was built in 1961 for the purpose of having a place that the Pittsburgh Opera uh, or Orchestra could could play, and um, I mean it it did have the intent of of having sports, um, mainly at the time was uh, uh, the Pittsburgh Hornets which um, were our American Hockey League team um, back then. Uh, this was before the Flyers and, uh, and the Penguins uh, uh, became part of the um, NHL in 1967. They actually had a shot at an NBA team and were awarded a franchise but the NBA was not really a, a huge moneymaker at the time and the guy John Harris who uh, had, um, been the guy who, who, uh, he didn't, uh, I guess, booked all the, uh, events at the, uh, Duquesne gardens, which was the previous, uh, indoor arena. And he owned the, um, um, he owned the Hornets. He was given an NBA franchise, got angry, uh, because, uh, uh, Bill Sharman, uh, he wanted to, um, uh, hire from the uh, Boston Celtics, the, the great LA uh, Lakers coach got mad when the Celtics uh, reneged on their agreement to let him sign as a coach of the new Pittsburgh franchise. So he decided he didn't want the team. Um, so he pulled back his, his bid to have an NBA team. And there was a gentleman who um, had a, a team in the American basketball league, which was uh but uh, a very short uh, run league in the early 60s and he had a chance to get the nba team but decided to keep his abl team thinking they had a better chance to compete probably one of the most short-sighted uh, um, decisions in, in professional sports history but i i'm not sure that the the penguins would have been a survivor had had the nba come here and, and succeeded um In fact, the Pittsburgh Pipers were the first American Basketball Association champion at the Civic Arena. They were getting a lot of – the fans were warming up to them as the season went on, almost sold out the last game of the ABA championship. And they were pulled from Pittsburgh because the commissioner, George Mikan, um, uh, had to have a – wanted to live in Minneapolis, and the commissioner had to – I guess, basically had the offices where they had a team. So they pulled the Pipers to Minnesota, uh, bringing them back a year later, of course, nowhere near as good as they were and ended up being the Pittsburgh Condors, one of the biggest jokes in professional sports history. But um, had the Pipers stayed here, and succeeded, and with the fan base they were growing. I really believe the Penguins would never have survived in Pittsburgh because there were several times in the '70s, including a time the Civic Arena was padlocked, um, that they were in such financial trouble that it was, you know, it was tough to see them going on. I think if the Pipers had been here and succeeded, they wouldn't have made it more than five or six years.
0: Well, I think most most uh, modern day fans, right, probably look at the igloo, especially you know those who. Grew up in Pittsburgh and, and sort of uh, uh, lived uh sports through um through the years, both outdoor and indoor, probably would uh most naturally associate the history of the igloo with that of the penguins. But I think it's also harder to kind of remember that, you know, the penguins didn't even come into the into the picture for this arena until what, six years after it, it made its debut. So I think people erroneously think that uh, they were symbiotic or they were considered simultaneously, and they weren't right because it was uh, at least six years difference.
2: Absolutely not, and and as as I tell my children now, they're they're the generation growing up with the pirates being bad. Um, My father grew up; the Steelers were the embarrassment of the NFL uh, before 1972. When we grew up, the Penguins were the embarrassment. Of of the city, when I went to Duquesne, I started in 1979. We would pay five dollars to sit at the top of the uh, the igloo, and by the end of the first period, we were on the on the glass uh, on the rink because there was nobody in the stadium. I mean, this the Penguins were by far um, not the main component there. In fact, there was a major indoor soccer league team called the Pittsburgh Spirit. That really, there was actually a time that the ownership group who who owned both teams wondered whether they should just keep the spirit and and get rid of the penguins i mean it was it was an embarrassment until they tanked in 1983 which we have a story on that in the book and then drafted mario lemieux um and ever since then you know it's it's been a uh the model franchise in the NFL, uh, nhl and, and um you know for the most part of the last uh, 40 years i mean five stanley cups and and certainly, um, certainly is, is. I would think if uh, they they rival the Steelers as far as the most popular team in the city.
0: So, all right, before before we sort of get into some of the interesting uh, anecdotes and sort of uh, uh, stops along the way, the Penguins obviously a disproportionate share for sure. Um, let's back up for a second and, and talk to you. Sort of hinted at sort of the structure of this thing, but it's fascinating to me. To realize that this was the first true um, uh, stadium uh, of its kind, arena of its kind, uh, sporting uh, endeavor of its kind, to have a retractable roof. And, I, I, you know, I, I guess for whatever reason, I never really kind of sort of grasped this concept that that this arena back dating in 1961 and onward was truly sort of a an indoor, but also potentially... Outdoor facility.
2: It it was it was pretty neat. I mean, the last twenty or twenty so years uh, that it was um, it was there, they had issues with it. And it really never opened um, at the end. But um, yeah, I, I remember seeing a monkeys concert there. I'm in, embarrassed to say that, but I uh, I saw a monkeys concert there with the the. Uh, The arena open. I saw Pittsburgh Triangles, uh, who were the 1975 World Team Tennis champions, a very popular team at at the time. Um, They would open it, and and it was it was pretty cool um, to see um, uh, to to see a game indoors with the city skyline behind you.
0: What, What was the what was the the reason? I mean, how did they determine when to open? Uh, to open the facility? I mean, was it tr- truly weather-based? I mean, were there, were there basketball games or even hockey games played with, with the roof open at some point? Or I, I'm just curious as to sort of what sort of was the rationale that made the decision to open or close it or, or, or what?
2: I don't really think they opened it often. They They opened it during an arena football game. Um, The Pittsburgh Gladiators played the first arena football game ever there, and there was actually there's a great story in the book about how uh, the coach ended up uh, ripping apart the author of of the book, who was Tom Rooney, um, part of the uh, Steeler Rooney family. He was um, he was the head of the Civic Arena at the time, and he opened it for the arena football game and and the coach did not like it. He thought it took out the crowd with with the um, um, with the arena open. Plus, I mean, you have. You, you did have wind and such aspects with that, so they really didn't open it often. It was mostly a concert. Um, uh, the world team tennis, as I said, used it. I don't remember. I, it, there may have been a basketball game, but there's none that I remember uh, it being open for, and, and certainly no hockey games um, that it was open for. But it was weather based, and as I said, they use it uh, probably mostly for concerts. But it was just a, a real neat thing seeing that. Uh, um, seeing the arena open and, and uh, seeing the city skyline with it.
0: Well, I, I guess part of it, too, is also structurally it, it, it allowed for uh, unimpeded views uh, from wherever you sat, right, because it was uh, – I'm not an engineer by trade, right, but it was structurally uh, enabled by this sort of roof-type structure that it, was
2: – yeah. It it was at first. Now, the, the arena started out about a 12,000-person capacity when – in the seventies when we were growing up with the penguins, it was a little over 13 and then they started stuffing seats in every nook and cranny. They built, um, they built two upper decks, then they built upper decks on top of the upper decks. And there were just places in the arena that you just didn't want to sit because your, your knees would be in your throat. Um, it It's certainly, in, in various parts, it was very comfortable, but in various parts, it was nowhere near the modern stadium experience. Um, the upper upper deck that they built last, um, I want to say they were in the mid-17,000s by, by that point. Um, you were at such an angle that you, you were afraid to stand up. So it was, it was kind of a, uh, it was not the most comfortable place in the world. Um, I, I will tell you that by the end, but... I mean, to me, a stadium, we did a book on Three Rivers Stadium uh, the year before to celebrate the 50th anniversary of its building. This is celebrating the Civic Arena's 60th anniversary um, this year uh, of its building. Um, But And the the Three Rivers Stadium was like Veterans Stadium in Philadelphia. It was a cookie cutter. I mean, you know, for baseball, it was very, not very fun to watch a game in, but you know what, stadiums are about the memories that are made inside of them. And that's a great thing about the civic arena. There was just so many different aspects of a different sports, uh, great concerts. Um, I mean, the Beatles went there, Elvis was there, Elvis sang his last, I, I guess he had a traditional new year's Eve concert. And he had his last new year's Eve concert before he died at, at the civic arena. Um, so i mean that that's what just makes this book so fascinating there's so many different angles boxing um basketball uh hockey um you know the soviets came to the arena to, to play the penguins which uh, you know they they did several places but that, that was we have a a good good article in there about a good chapter in there about that and it, it just you know that that's that's why you love old stadiums. It's not that they were necessarily comfortable. It's not that they were necessarily, um, gave you all the amenities. But man, the memories you have in there, the memories you have with your friends, the memories you, you have with your children, with your, with your, with your wife, um, I mean, they, they they're they just priceless.
0: Well, basketball. Let's, let's start with basketball because, frankly, that was kind of the first, uh, I mean, aside from the ice capades, right? Which was sort of, you know, I guess, uh, a test of the rink but um you know between the the hornets of the AHL and the Pittsburgh Rens, right with uh, Connie Hawkins Connie and, right yeah. and, the, and the ABL which we've talked about in a number of different episodes here um Pittsburgh was very much uh I think most to, to most people's surprise today uh, a basketball town uh certainly the collegiate level and you'd think that the Rens would have had a a more than fair shot. Uh, at uh, at establishing some kind of uh, uh, solidity there in 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 Pittsburgh. Sure,
2: I mean it. it Duquesne University was um, in a level of an Alabama in football during the 1950s and, and early 60s. They they won the NIT in 55, which uh, the NIT at the time was as important as the NCAA tournament because they had the flexibility of inviting. Second and third uh, teams from from a conference, and most of the independents, which were about forty percent of basketball at the time, went there. So it had a good um, uh, uh, a good groundwork um, with college basketball. And Connie Hawkins, of course, was banned from the NBA, banned from college basketball at the time for supposed dealings he had with with a, uh, a gambler before he went to the University of Iowa, which ended up being. Uh, nothing um, as as he ended up suing, but the Pittsburgh Wrens were the people that gave him an opportunity to play when nobody else would. And you're right. I mean, he, he, you could have had a good background with him and he rewarded them with an MVP performance um, in in their one season, but they, they just couldn't draw. Um, I mean, the league, the league was not popular. The professional game at that point was not popular. Um, and and the city um, was uh, uh, basically Duquesne was the, the top dog in the city, and and would eventually play their games in the arena. They were they were playing at the Fitzgerald Field House in uh, on the University of Pittsburgh at the time after the Duquesne Gardens closed. Um, so they didn't come for a few years to the Civic Arena, but um, they ended up staying there until they built their own place in 1988. But um, the ABL just just never, never took hold and was done after a year and a half.
0: It's also very interesting. I mean, essentially uh, the arena really at that, aside from the Rens there one year and the Hornets, right. Which is, you know, pretty top tier minor league hockey, right. Was really a collegiate sports, Duquesne in particular, hoops and, and, and the, and the opera, right. I mean, it was really, it us this way for, for, for an arena with such, Uh, a modern uh, take with a retractable roof and all and 12 plus thousand seats, at least at the time. Uh, You wonder if, uh, if it was being maybe underutilized because of its, shall we say minor league sports and, and uh, only collegiate uh, sort of uh, status, right? Uh, No pro basketball team, no pro hockey team at the time.
2: No, no, it was, I mean, the the city did uh, love their Hornets and, 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 as I, I did the research on it, I mean, the Hornets uh, in their last game, they, they didn't know whether they were going to be moved or just terminated, which ended up just being terminated. Um, but their last game was at the arena and they win the Calder cup, which is the Stanley cup of the NA or of the AHL. And, and they won the Calder cup in the last game at the arena in overtime in a just uh, extremely exciting uh, game. And there were fans that actually were trying to stop the NHL from coming here because they love the Hornets so much. Um, Again, the NHL at the time, not a huge popular sport um, around the country. So, um, but yeah, no, it was underutilized. There were no, it was basically concerts and and the Hornets, really, until Duquesne came in and then eventually the. Um, The Dapper Dan Roundball Classic, which was one of the premier, if not the premier college or high school basketball game in the country.
0: Do you so 67, do you think it was the Penguins or the Pipers that kind of sort of lit the match, so to speak, for Pittsburgh to become sort of an indoor professional sports uh Mecca. I I get the sense that the Penguins were part of, obviously they were part of the the NHL Great Expansion, right? This is a, a league that was for, for decades, at least six teams, right? And and automatically it was going to double in size. Um I, 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 who sort of found who first, right? It would seem to me that Pittsburgh would uh getting a, a hint that the NHL was looking to expand, said, hey, we've got a basically a, a fairly new and modern facility ready to go. I gotta think that that alone made Pittsburgh uh, one of the top uh, franchise uh, locations on the list for the NHL because of that.
2: Well, they, they actually almost didn't, didn't get a franchise. Um, It was thought that the NHL governors were favoring Buffalo as as the 16. And it was Art Rooney who went in there and kind of twisted the arms of, of some of the owners who he had dealings with. Um, to uh To come back and, and pull in Pittsburgh, so the penguins almost didn't happen at that point, um, but once Sart Rooney stepped in and, and took care of that for the city. Um, they were there people people for the most part were excited so as I said there were there was a group that really wanted to keep the hornets, but you know for the most part, it was accepted well, and they were probably more of a feature than the Pipers who came that same year. But I'm telling you at the end, once Connie Hawkins uh, and it turned out to be a, a great team, they won an exciting uh, seven-game series against the New Orleans Buccaneers in, uh, um, in the ABA Finals who had uh, great coaches and Larry Brown as, and Doug Moe as players on that team. Um, and uh, Connie Hawkins, he, he he became a legend at that point. He He, he tears his knee puts a big brace on it, doesn't play game five, they lose, they're down three games to two, comes back and just has a game for the ages and a knee brace in, in game six. And then the civic arena is pretty much full in game seven. And I, I really, really genuinely believe it would have been the Pipers that were the team that stayed. And if they stayed together like that, I don't see why the NBA would have made them part of, of the, um, of the combination that that uh, eventually happened with them, so I, I think the Penguins were very lucky that the ABA screwed up and and pulled that team to uh, Minnesota and then let it fall apart, um, because I really do think it would have been the Pipers that would have been leading the way uh, in this city as far as making it a, a special town.
0: That's interesting. Why? Because they were so good out of the gate, and you had the sort of the the uh, the return, if you will, of of uh, already a. Uh, a legend in in the town in uh, in uh, with his previous exploits in Connie Hawkins.
2: Absolutely, I mean Connie Hawkins played two seasons in Pittsburgh. He he was an MVP for two seasons, and I, I mean even though he's he's a New York uh, native and and only played two seasons here, I mean the city celebrated him till not uh, in in the recent pe- past when they had a, a Connie Hawkins League, uh, which was a, a premier college. Uh, league in the city during the summer. Um, so Connie Hawkins was, was very much celebrated even as uh, much as a few years ago um, in in the city. So yeah, I think he would have been the Mario Lemieux of his time and had he been able to stay and, and just keep that going.
0: So we, we had uh, uh, the late great uh, Dennis Murphy on this show a couple of times and uh, obviously a, 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 just a, um, an inveterate entrepreneur in the realm of sports, starting with of course the ABA um, I, And I, I would have loved to have asked him this question. Obviously, we, we lost him uh, earlier this year, but I, I around sort of how Pittsburgh, well, we certainly learned from him. It really didn't take much to get a team uh, or a city sort of circled on his uh, must fly to and pitch uh, uh, parchment there. Right. Um, but I got to think that when the NHL uh, announced Pittsburgh as an expansion franchise, that that uh set in motion maybe more of a sense of urgency to domicile a an aba initial franchise in pittsburgh perhaps maybe sooner mer- perhaps than maybe was originally envisioned for the aba or maybe wasn't even on their radar I, I i'm just sensing that the nhl move probably put pittsburgh on the basketball map a little bit quicker for him and his uh, his colleagues
2: it's quite possible. I mean, to, to know you're in the NHL, I mean, that was quite a feather in the hat of the city. Um, I mean, at the time, you, you had the Pirates and Steelers. And, and, you know, the Steelers, as I said, until 1972, they were the embarrassment of the NHL for, or NFL for most of their 40 years. So um, to get another uh, feather in the hat of the city, I'm, I'm sure that was important. And, and again, the civic arena at the time was state of the art um, compared to most of the other arenas that that you would see around so I, I think that was quite a drawing card to to both leagues um that they could move into such a uh, a modern uh, facility at the time uh,
0: from what you can uh glean from uh, the contributions to the book what was sort of that first year i guess of piper basketball and penguins hockey because here you are a city of of uh you know, certainly with, with baseball and with football for, for some time. But frankly, going from really, you know, minor league this and and, and non-existent basketball that to two uh, pro teams uh, in in the arena uh, overnight, seemingly. Um, who, who I mean, you're kind of hinting that, that Pittsburgh Piper's basketball was a little bit more of a draw than hockey. But I got to think that even b- both of them probably did well at the gate, at least to begin with, because of the curiosity factor.
2: Um, the pipers actually didn't. They they as the season went on, they started catching hold of, of the city um, from a popularity standpoint. Um, Pittsburgh was consistent. The Penguins they they weren't a very good team. Um, it was probably about five or six years till they started winning. Um, so it, it it was exciting at first, but just from what I I researched, it, it just seemed to you know, have a mediocre hum-ho by by the mid to end of it. Because again, remember, you know, the city, even though it was minor league, the AHL was top level and they were used to having a, a franchise competing for a title. So it really took a while until the city took hold of this. And until 1984, which was um, 17 years after they were in existence, that they started really selling hockey in Pittsburgh. Mario Lemieux, I, I can't emphasize enough how that was the the um, dividing line um, between a franchise that several times looked like it was going to be gone because of financial issues. Um, and, and Mario Lemieux finally was the one that fired up this team. And then... They put together a good, um, a, a very good, uh, uh, front office and Craig Patrick is the general manager, Bob Johnson as a coach. Um, and, um, Scotty Bowman was the, uh, director of, uh, of player uh, personnel. And it was at that point, they started making trades that were important and, and becoming important. Um, so it was. You you went through almost twenty years before that franchise finally found a way to light the fans up, and they lit them up by winning.
0: All right, before we get to the pens, I, I want to sort of get just kind of uh, sort of finish out this sort of uh, ABA basketball story. So, wh- why why did the pipers after such a, a wonderful start in their first season after winning the ABA championship, why did they move to Minnesota and uh, leave basically the arena to? To the, to the Penguins, who <laughs> dutifully tanked the next year as having the NHL's worst record to, to boot.
2: Right. Basically what happened is Minnesota had a team called the Muskies. They failed. George Mikan was the commissioner, and they had to have – he lived in Minnesota. They had to have a team in the city where the commissioner lived. Um, so um, he basically uh, had the team bought – moved to Minnesota. Um, Johnny Hawkins uh, eventually was allowed to get into the NBA. So he left a lot of the players left. They came back to the city the year after, but they were a shell of themselves. And then they tried to rebrand themselves as the Pittsburgh Condors. And they were, it it was just an embarrassing between the players and and, um, they weren't very good at all. I mean, you, you, Basically, we're now putting under a thousand people in the stadium on most nights. Um, so they really screwed up with that. I mean, to be successful in a new league um, like that, you you really have to win and win consistently. And I, I think if the pipers were allowed to stay, they would have done that, and they would have done that to full crowds at the at the Civic Arena. So it was it was basically a dumb move by the ABA to pull out something that seemed like it was working and um and and as i said when they gave back the pipers a year later it was a shell of itself
0: all right what's this linkedin jobs hey These days, it can be hard to find and hire the right candidates for your small business. And that's why LinkedIn Jobs made it easier to find the people that you want to talk to faster and for free. You can create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 770 million people. Holy mackerel. I added that part. Focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience and use screening questions to get your role in front of only the most qualified. Then use the simple tools on LinkedIn Jobs to quickly filter and prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one in delivering quality hires versus the leading competitors. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster did you know that every week nearly 40 million job seekers visit LinkedIn? Post your job for free at linkedin.com/goodseats. That's linkedin.com/goodseats to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. And now, back to our conversation. All right, well we'll get to the penguins now but but let me let me ask this kind of question and maybe it's wrapped up in, in some of the stuff you're going to talk about with the penguins but why do you think then after that a uh, glittering first season and obviously a bit of a rocky return why do you think the nba ultimately never came to pittsburgh after that there was no real pro basketball aside maybe for the. ABA Pittsburgh explosion back in the in the two thousands right, which is much more minor league basketball. Never, and that
2: and that's all we had. We had uh, the explosion. We had uh, the Pittsburgh uh, Piranha, which uh, was was a CBA team. Um, made the CBA finals in their only year, but they they didn't do it. It by the point in time, they were coming. Teams were coming back. Pittsburgh considered itself a major league town, and and minor league teams really don't play well or play well financially in in major league towns i i think the nba always questioned they would put exhibition games here after after that which never really sold very well um and i just think uh, pittsburgh is labeled as, as not a basketball town i disagree with that i although i think there's a difference when the Steelers lose, they will always sell out Heinz field. When college basketball has losing teams, they have no support. When Pitt was winning during the last decade, they would sell out the, their uh, 13,000 seat arena. But if you're the NBA, that's fine to see that, but then to turn around and when Pitt has a bad year, a couple thousand people show up, I'm sure that scares people off. Um, It's not, one of the bigger markets it's in the top 25 so there is a um there's a competition for for the sports money and and if you know the penguins are selling out you know the steelers are selling out um and when the pirates win they average about thirty thousand a game but you gotta wonder if you're the nba is there enough money to go around to to have that kind of support when you're going to lose for a few years um so i think i think they have some concerns which are justified but the shame is is that they had the NBA team in their pocket in '61, and just senselessly, um, I mean, they were given two opportunities to keep it, and then uh, just two senseless decisions um, that, that cost them that franchise. And again, you know, Bill Sharman that turned out to be one of the one of the better coaches uh, in the league. So if he was leading the way and putting together the team, they could have really built that team quickly. I mean, five people on a court is easier to build a winner is, you know, Milwaukee Bucks draft Lou Cinder and win an NBA championship in, in their first three years. So that, that could have been something back then. And, and maybe they could have had that base back then, but I really think that's the fear of the NBA at this point is, is it's a, not a necessarily a large market at this point. It's still in the top 25, but I mean, you're, you're looking at that and you're just wondering, I mean, pit football, has a great year this year. Has trouble drawing because, you know, there's only so much uh, sports money to go around.
0: Well, that, that that stumble, I guess, in basketball certainly played very well ultimately for the Penguins, right? Because Pittsburgh obviously became and still is a very strong hockey town, and and the Penguins, frankly, just you know, synonymous with winter uh, in in Pittsburgh. And, and maybe some some of the more glorious memories that uh, sort of stuck out in as you were compiling this book from. From that of the Penguins in the igloo, I mean the, the name certainly the the informal nick, nickname certainly works very well for a hockey team. Now, does
2: oh, it? It does. I mean, there they were even when I was in college, and they were they were not a a, a good team. I mean, there there was that great moment. Mark Johnson, uh, the you know famed U.S. Olympic uh, nineteen eighty hockey player, um, Pittsburgh owned his rights, and and that night he. Um, um, debuted in a penguin uniform. I mean, it just, that's, that's a goosebump evening. Um, You know, and, and um, hockey is, is a game probably out of all the sports that is just so much more special live because TV just doesn't do it justice. The speed and, and um, uh, of it on TV, just, uh, and and just the way the offense flows. And and, um, so, I mean, you had those great memories and then, Mario Lemieux comes in in 84, and all of a sudden, you know, one of the greatest players in the history of the game is wearing a Penguin uniform. Um, I remember the night Paul Coffey, uh, they traded for Paul Coffey and just seeing him in a Penguin uniform, and and finally in 1990, and, and uh, you know, I'm sure you have your teams from where you're at, that, that one team that was always... You know, you loved them, but they were always bad, and, and you never imagined them winning. And when they won the Stanley Cup, uh, beating uh, Minnesota 9 or 8 to nothing uh, in 1991, just that uh, emotion. Still, you, you feel that emotion when you watch a replay of it. Just you, you thought you'd never see this moment. And there there were just so many great, great memories in the Mariela Mew years, and and then Sid Crosby comes towards the end of the, the Igloos uh, time and wins the Stanley cup in 2009. Um, I, I mean, just knowing what you grew what we grew up with, with the penguins and just how bad they were. And then, you know, these dreams that we never thought would come to fruition, you know, we got to see, well, now five times, but three times in the civic arena. I mean, it, it just makes everything so special. And, and, um, the one thing about the civic arena that you don't get in the PPG paints arena, which is their current place, which is state-of-the-art facility. The noise was so incredibly loud in the arena. It was intimidating um, because of the way it was built. Um, There was a finals game in 1991 um, and they had been down um, um, two games to one at the time. And this, this put them up three to two. And I just remember how incredible that was, how loud it was that night, how I couldn't even imagine the players, um, you know, not getting that fired up. And, uh, um, but you, you, the seats, and this a uh, funny story there. I, I was so pumped up after, after they scored the final goal to win the game, I put my fist in the air and the arena roof was so close to the seats that I whacked the, uh, uh, the top of the arena and thought I broke my hand. But, uh, um, it was just that kind of special place. It was loud. It was intimidating uh, on Penguin nights. They, there was not always an air conditioner in the place. That night was very warm outside, and there was a little mist coming off the the ice because of the humidity in the place. Um, so as I said, it wasn't always the, the jewel that uh, these, these the more current arenas are. But, man, the, those memories were just priceless.
0: That's that's interesting. That one uh, one looks at the the from the outside the what this uh, structure looked like. You would think actually that this uh, uh, this retractable roof was actually higher up and and arguably would maybe kind of absorb or diminish the sound. But you're saying no. It was actually kind of it felt kind of lower and or and and I'm guessing it, it kind of bounced back pretty easily too, huh? The sound.
2: Now that it might have been that way early on. Um... I mean i I was just a baby when it was uh, when it was built um so it might have been that way with only twelve, but with seventeen thousand seats you were right on on the arena walls so yeah it was bouncing back and it was it was very intimidating um to opponents I would have to think when it was full and it was loud and and um, and the base was invigorated um there were there was even um we, we never had an NCAA tournament game until 1997 because the city had an amusement tax, which the NCAA didn't want to deal with. And, and um, finally the city did away with it in 1997 for the NCAA tournament. And that year, number 15 seed Coppin state upset number two seed South Carolina um, in, in the second game that was played uh, that day. And again, you know, even though Coppen State wasn't from um, wasn't from Pittsburgh, everybody was behind it, and it the place shook that day um, as Coppin State was was winning that game, um, which I again with not being a Pittsburgh team that kind of took me by by surprise here in that, and that that was pretty thrilling.
0: Well, clearly, lots of uh, some some Stanley Cup uh, uh, memories for sure: ninety one, ninety two, and two thousand eight, two thousand nine. Near the end of its life. Um, let, let's get into though. I want to get into some of the more, shall we say, uh, uh, forgotten or uh, misunderstood uh, teams and situations that sort of came uh, during the process in the seventies. Of course, right? Uh, you are mentioning yeah. that, that the Penguins were not necessarily uh, tearing the uh, tearing the roof off the place, so to so to speak. Um, yeah, but uh, perhaps even more susceptible, perhaps to uh, the uh, plethora of uh, challenger leagues and uh, challenger sports uh, that were really starting to uh, to bubble up Um, perhaps none more interesting than the Pittsburgh triangles of world team tennis now um, maybe you can kind of describe I know there's a chapter uh, in in the book too uh, about the triangles by the way perhaps one of the the more interesting uh, professional team names uh, in sporting history, but for, for, for good reason. Um, But this was a team uh, in Pittsburgh that was um, uh, well taken to um, and with, with the roof open or not these triangles.
2: So, yeah, I mean, they, uh, it was, it was a first class league. I mean, most of the stars were, were playing it. We had Yvonne Goolagong was, was our uh, lead uh, women's uh, tennis player. And she had won Wimbledon. She was, one of the top players in, in the world and, and the city fell in love with her cause she was, she was a winner here too. Um, we, we had Vitas Geriulitis, um, as our top male star. He was just starting out at that point, but he ended up, uh, uh having a nice career. Unfortunately died, uh, died young of uh, carbon monoxide poisoning, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but, um, the city, the women in the city really took to him. Um, and Ken Rosewell was was the first coach who, who again was a uh, a hall of fame talent so i mean you had talent here and um they were very good the first year and, and the second year they they ended up winning the uh, um the league title and so you you had that um you had uh, the Pittsburgh spirit that were here and and indoor soccer uh, it was a very weird yet interesting uh, interesting sport um you know it was like uh, it was like a foosball table on steroids um you know most most games somebody had double digits in goals and and it was kind of exciting and as i said there was a point that the bartolo group who owned the uh, 49ers also owned um they're from nearby youngstown and they also owned uh, the penguins and and the spirit at the time and there was serious talk about whether or not to let go of the Penguins and, and just keep the spirit in the city, so um, the Penguins, even though they were the top, probably the, the top team in the in the igloo, certainly were not necessarily the most popular at the time. And um, the Triangles, um, unfortunately, kind of fizzled out a year or two later. Um, they combined with Cleveland and, and just. Um, just kind of fizzled out, unfortunately, and um, the spirit. I believe in the '80s, uh, indoor soccer started kind of losing its way a little bit. But, um, but yeah, no, there were there were serious uh, uh, serious challenges to the the Penguins' uh, 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 place in the city sports, and both those teams really put a challenge to them.
0: Yeah, let's talk about the spirit for a second. I'm a huge fan of the old uh, MISL, and, and I I'm fascinated by this team because <clears throat> they were one of the uh, they were one of the charter franchises in the '78 '79 season, and then they took a hiatus and came back in '81 '82. Um, any particular reasons that that you might know about as to why they suspended operations or why they uh, uh, took a took a brief hiatus? Because uh, I. I that they would come back in in, in their current and in, the, in the same name too for that matter
2: well well when they came back i mean it it was not a it was an okay team at the at the beginning it wasn't a uh, necessarily one that was drawing well then they come back and they signed Stan Stan who who was one of the league's great all time players and uh they signed paul child um who was a great player in from England who still lives in pittsburgh and and helps with our um our uh, minor league uh, Pittsburgh Riverhounds, who happen to be a very, one of the minor league teams that has really succeeded in the city
0: and a former guest on this here podcast.
2: Oh, was Paul child on it. Awesome. Awesome. But I mean,
0: outdoor, indoor, and certainly the spirit for sure. Very, very high on his list of memories.
2: Oh, I, I, he made it popular. People love Paul child. People love Stan Terlicky. Stan Terlicky was the Wayne Gretzky of, um, of the MISL. Um, there was a guy with New York, uh, Steve, um,
0: Steve jungle, the Lord of all Steve in jungle.
2: Exactly. He, he and Turlicki were the um, uh, considered the two best players and, and people fell in love with him here. And Paul child certainly had a special place in, in, in with people here. And that's when they started drawing and, and they started becoming a successful franchise. So I, I think it was basically, they came back and decided to take it seriously. And and it started taking off at that point in time. They never won a league title, but they they certainly were one of the better teams in the league. Uh,
0: is it fair to say that um the uh, uh the attraction of the spirit, which was also in the wintertime, right, playing the same season as the Penguins, um that uh, that they started to draw more attention in Pittsburgh uh, because of or, or just by happenstance? pittsburgh penguins uh shall we say less than stellar non-playoff run during the 80s
1: well
2: that was a big part of it i mean look like any other city you're going to support a winner i mean people want to be part of a winning thing that's the fun of sports as i always tell people um you know who who get mad at the the popularity of sports who aren't necessarily sports fans You know, I always say when a million people come downtown to uh, have a parade and celebrate when we get a new orchestra leader in 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 Pittsburgh, then I'll I'll take your argument seriously. But you know, it's not a criticism on that, but it's that doesn't bring a city together. Winning teams bonds people like like nobody's business. People who aren't necessarily sports fans become sports fans because they love to win. Um, They love to be part of that atmosphere and. With the Spirit, you had both things. You had that, and you had the ability to market a superstar, a couple if you include Paul Child. Um, The Penguins did not have that. They did not have the superstar to market. They did not have the winning to market. So I think that's where the Spirit had the advantage at the time. Um, And again, then came Mary Lemieux, and it all changed.
0: Yeah, interesting. Just as they got better, uh, the MISL started to wobble and uh, and then uh, uh, sort of uh, implode into um, semi-oblivion and then uh, ultimate uh, oblivion. It's just very interesting how that sort of uh, – that symbiosis, that re- reverse sort of parallelism, if you will. Um, but yes, I, I you know, I have plenty of friends who remember those Pittsburgh spirit days uh, and don't fancy themselves or didn't fancy themselves as Penguin fans the, at that time – uh, and you're right. You want to see a winner and perhaps the more competitive uh, team uh, at that time was the Spirit. Hey, so let's back up now or we'll, uh, move forward into the to the late 80s. Uh, you mentioned something very interesting, and we kind of uh, uh, brought this out uh, in some of our earlier exploits, uh, our conversations with um, uh, in the Arena Football League. Um, I, I think it's lost on folks. Uh, that uh, pittsburgh was one of the first franchises in this fledgling arena football league in 1987 um what memories sort of come into that and and how well received was uh indoor football at the time and another groundbreaking event at the uh in the ingloo
2: sure it was it was very well received i was i was there that night they um uh, played the first game against uh, Washington. It was the first arena. I mean, they had played exhibition games just to kind of get their feet wet and and try it out. But the first regular season game was in Pittsburgh, and there were almost 13,000 people there, if I'm not mistaken. But it was it was very well taken. We we drew very well that first year. The first arena bowl was was at the arena. We lost to the Denver Dynamite. Um, but that first year we we averaged over uh, I think it was in the eleven twelve thousand range, which is very good for um, for a fledgling league like that. Um, we ended up uh, playing in two arena bowls, but the team. Uh, Kind of lost a little luster after that, um, especially as the Penguins got hot. So I think that did affect it a little bit. Um, and they eventually, after I think the fourth year, moved to Tampa Bay and became one of the most successful arena teams of all time. So, you know, even though it wasn't in its current form, I mean, the franchise itself is probably the most successful franchise in the, in the um, league's history. But, yeah, the it got off that first game, and, and um, it was fun. You know what? It, it was it was just a lot of fun.
0: We had uh, Jim Foster on this show, a great two part uh, uh, set of conversations, and um, uh, you know, I do remember uh, him sort of walking us through some of those those early games. To your point, uh, the uh, the sort of trial game was in Rockford, Illinois, um, but it's also interesting too. I think that that Pittsburgh game. Um, Uh, If I'm not mistaken, there were two games, I guess, that kind of debuted that night, and and the Pittsburgh game was the one that was not on ESPN. Does that sound right?
2: That I'm not sure about it. It was definitely the first game um, that was played. I I don't believe there was two simultaneous games played. Um,
0: Yeah, I, I I think what it was was that the actual inaugural game was played in Pittsburgh, and then the actual first televised game was played the night after, in the Rosemont Horizon, and then now the Allstate Arena in Chicago, yeah, it, which is almost it, it almost might. interesting in that in that's yeah. you, the most famous game that nobody saw in Arena Football League history, and you were there, Dave. That's pretty impressive. Oh, I,
2: I, I was there. I'm, I'm looking at the uh, program as we speak. I have it on my wall. Um, but it, it was a, it was just a fun night. It was a fun sport. It was a, a, a good game. Uh, Mike Tennessee was their quarterback who eventually became uh, one of the top coaches in the league. Um, and it, it was just a lot of fun. It, it, was, it was a lot of fun that night. It was new. There was a lot of uh, good excitement in the arena from it. Um, and who knows? Had they won that arena bowl game? I mean, they they got beat up pretty bad in that game. But had they won that game, you, you never know what would have happened.
0: When you were at that game, did you think that uh, it would last? I mean, uh, the Gladiators only lasted, what, for about three seasons. But did you think it was the beginning of something long-lasting or, or, or that it was kind of going to be a fad?
2: I hoped it would be long-lasting, but I probably had fad in the back of, of my head. I, I've i always been amazed that it lasted as long as it did. Um, But – um. You know, there, there was such excitement, and Pittsburgh has, has always been a good football town, and, and you would hope it would have supported more consistently. But again, you know, a, a minor league team is a tough sell in a in a major league market, and that's eventually what what it was. I mean, you know, eventually it it got hidden behind Pitt and uh, and the Steelers, and and you know, uh, in the arena, that's when the Penguins took off.
0: I think it's interesting though that Pittsburgh continually because of its arena, right, was uh always on the radar of other leagues that would uh sort of come around and, and Pittsburgh would all kind of it almost automatically kind of rise to the to the top group. Um especially for uh winter versions or even summer versions for that matter. I mean, the Major Indoor Lacrosse League came around uh, just shortly thereafter. The Pittsburgh Bulls not not a long-lasting franchise there either, but um, you know, and and indoor lacrosse has certainly held on and is still kind of uh, uh, doing pretty well, especially in pockets where hockey is popular. You know, I I would think though that because Pittsburgh is such a strong hockey town that that lacrosse might have a little bit of a of a stick to it as well. But that that didn't last long either. Those bulls.
2: No, it it has a pretty good. I mean, the youth leagues are pretty good around here. It 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 has a good following. It just again you know, that minor league stigma, um, did that. I, I was at the first game uh, for them also. And, and, um, the one memory I have about that is I guess you were allowed to really club people with that stick. And, um, I just kind of remember how people were more into the violence than they actually noticed about the game. And, uh, it was, it was just a weird evening. It was, you know, I, I, I love college uh, lacrosse. Robert Morris, uh, a local university here, uh, has a Division One team that I've I've gone to quite a few times, and um, um, it was just v- very different than the game I, the college game that uh, I had uh, I had followed. Um, but I think they drew about nine thousand the first night, if
0: I'm not mistaken. But it it just died quickly. Well, you also have the resurgent Penguins, right? I mean, you hit in the Stanley Cup Finals in '91 and '92, right? So that's obviously the big, oh yeah, yeah. town. But yeah,
2: yeah, minor league teams just really don't have a chance in a city that has successful major league franchises, and you know, they're the Riverhounds have uh, have been really the the lone um, high level minor league team that that has succeeded here, and and I think that's because we we have a very strong Youth base in soccer in the area. Um, I'm not sure if it's strong enough to support an MLS team. I really don't think it is, but um, but I mean they they draw. They have a 5,000 seat uh, stadium that they they built, and they draw about four or five thousand a night to it.
0: Well, even in the '90s rolled around, you had uh, two other leagues uh, uh, looking at. In this in this case, actually, the summer months, uh, the Phantoms of Roller Hockey International, only for one year, another Dennis Murphy creation, uh, and the Pittsburgh Stingers of the summertime Continental Indoor Soccer League. And this is around, again, the time before MLS had actually gotten started, or uh, this is around sort of uh, the World Cup uh, time in, in, in the U.S. Um, the Stingers actually uh, c- kind of did not so bad. Uh, they They were, you know, they kind of... It was a summertime kind of thing, right? So I think the CISL was a little bit of a an acquired taste, I guess. Was sitting indoors for two hours watching a uh, you know a soccer game during the middle of the summer, but
1: yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it was uh, uh,
2: there wasn't the excitement of the spirit. Um, it's it did well, but it didn't do well financially. Um, people at that point you're right it was it was about the penguins um but it was it was my soccer i mean i I went to a couple games there it was it was pretty good level um the phantoms were fun they had a couple penguins brian trottier played a game or two with them um they were owned by the penguins um penguin management ran it and it was kind of fun but again it, it didn't draw terrifically well um i have uh I have the orange, uh, the orange puck uh, in in my basement now I, that I had uh, gotten at a game, and um, you know it, again, it was it was a minor league thing, and and you know it it did what it did, and and uh, you know it, it, you never got the sense that either of those teams were ever going to be anything more than than a one or two year experiment.
0: Well, look at the end of the day, right? An arena uh, is, uh, a venue that has dates to fill and, uh, whether that's sports or, or other events. Um, how about, uh, on the, uh, as we sort of round third base here, how do, what about the concert scene, uh, in this, uh, arena, right? It's, it seems like the acoustics, uh, were unique, I guess, is probably the best word, but, uh, this was not a venue that, uh, artists didn't want to come to, right? This seemed like it was pretty well suited for all kinds of musical and theatrics, especially with that roof as a, sort of as a, as a little extra little uh, uh, variant. Well,
2: and see, that's, that's where you finally have something that rivaled the penguins. Um, All the greats um, during the time came to the civic arena um, to very, Boisterous, loud, uh, full crowds. Um, I mean, I I was there several times for Bruce Springsteen, which I'm not sure there's ever been a greater live performer um, in in the uh, in in music. Um, we had the be- the uh, uh, the Beatles, um, which was a memorable evening um, there. The last, actually, the last uh, event at the arena. Was uh, Carol King and James Taylor um, in, in a concert that was kind of thrown together at the last minute? Um, but um, I mean, th- there you you just you just had so many memories, and, and we have a nice section um, in the book. Uh, Lance Jones, who was um, worked with Tom Rooney to uh, uh, get the concerts, books, and such at the arena, uh, does a wonderful job recapping um those fabulous memories um rich boyer um was at that last concert and just um you know does a nice job in the book of, of um telling you about uh, um there were, there was another uh, act that was supposed to be there which I I forget the name of the uh the group at the time but they were not a, a fairly popular group so it was kind of nice that that got canceled and James Taylor and Carol King got brought in because that that was a much more appropriate way to end the Civic Arena um which was called the Mellon Arena for its last uh 10 years and uh, the great thing was the agreed the 10-year agreement with Mellon came up right before they destroyed the um The arena, so they renamed it the Civic Arena for that last event, uh, which was kind of a kind of nice uh, to do that. But um, um, Chris Fletcher does a great job telling you about Elvis Presley and and uh, and the Beatles uh, when they came there. So there there are as many great concert memories that people have. um, uh, You know, the Stones, Billy Joel. you know Bob Seger, which was my first concert in in high school. Um, you know there were just so many um, so many great memories for everybody with with music in in the place, and it, you know it was a lot of fun. As I said, it it was loud; it was a loud place, and it was very appropriate for concerts.
0: All right, I can't let you go without um, a, a bit about uh, the most famous team to ever play in the arena that was never really a team. And that, of course, <laughs> the fish that say Pittsburgh. Exactly, the Pittsburgh Pisces. <laughs> That's uh, right. So I, I you know, the, the the memories of that movie are just uh, just uh, uh, sadly in, uh, etched in my in my memory. But um, <laughs> it's uh, you know one of the stars of that film, not not only Dr. J and, and some of those other NBA and ABA stars of of yore that were sort of part of that um the arena itself really does uh make for a spectacular backdrop uh and especially during the uh quote unquote climax of the uh, of of the uh of the film um do you have any sort of background or understanding uh from from the folks who who wrote for you or you've edited or some of your stories about why um why pittsburgh and why the arena uh for that film
2: um to be honest i i'm not sure uh why that came in i mean it was a great memory and a, and a fun film um and it really showed off you're right i mean it showed off the arena yeah they uh, opened up in the roof
0: too right uh,
2: absolutely yeah i i mean um you know tom rooney was there at the time um and um you know certainly told of the wonderful memories uh, uh of getting with those stars and and, and um you know, putting, putting the extras in and, and such like that. But he never really said why, um, um, why they chose Pittsburgh, but I, I'm just happy they did. I, I think that was certainly one of the great memories of, of the arena, um, that, and of course, uh, uh, I forget the name of it. It was a Jean Van Damme movie, uh, where the penguins actually were part of, uh, were part of it. Um, it was, it was an action thriller in the nineties that I got through about 15 or 20 minutes. It it wasn't a very good movie. Um, but that was also shot at the arena. I'll have to, I'll have to look at that up and get it, get oh, it back. I think to you, you're, but, uh, I
1: think you're
0: refer, referring to uh sudden death from, uh, what the mid 1995 or so. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Exactly. Suddenly John Van Damme, uh, played the arena, but, uh, um, but yeah, yeah, that, that that's kind of a neat thing. I think I think we all uh get a little chuckle and get a little pride when we when we talk about that movie. That and Angels in the Outfield are are probably the two Pittsburgh uh, based movies that we uh we all uh, have warm uh feelings for when we see it.
0: Well, I don't know. I think Julius serving was actually quite quite a, a decent actor in that film. Uh Stocker Channing was in that, Flip Wilson was in that uh uh yeah, metal arc lemon uh, all kinds of uh, yeah. fun and occasionally yeah. you'll see that on uh on the uh, uh NBA TV uh cable uh channel. But uh, I, you know, I sadly that's uh, perhaps for me at least of my generation the uh the biggest uh basketball memory that I have of Pittsburgh. I mean, no shame on me. The Pipers <laughs> well, I mean, and the mean, prior, but
2: Yeah, I mean I mean it it really had a great run in the 70s and 80s with um the Dapper Dan round ball as I mentioned before. I mean anybody who was uh, a high school, high school star. I mean, we, we saw all the great stars come through. We saw Moses Malone. We saw Patrick Ewing. Um, I mean, we saw a lot of stars come through here and it was always sold out. Um, and the Atlantic 10 tournament, which back then was the Eastern eight tournament was in Pittsburgh for three or four years when Pitt and Duquesne were both part of the, um, in West Virginia, were were all part of the league. And, um, that was that was like the place to be. It it constantly sold out in the in the seventies and eighties until it uh was finally um after Pitt left it was it was taken to other cities because uh, they didn't feel Duquesne alone could could uh keep those numbers up. But um but it it did it did have some great uh, Pitt would bring its big games in the Big East um when they were in the Fitzgerald Fieldhouse, the big games, uh the Georgetowns, uh, the St. John's. Um, when they played UCLA in North Carolina, those would come to the arena too, to sold out, uh, um, stadiums and, 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 um, the Pitt and Duquesne game would, would be, uh, played there uh, and sold out. So, I mean, basketball really, uh, even though it wasn't pro, uh, the pro version after the Pipers basketball really had a nice, um, a nice run in, in the, um, in the arena's history.
0: All right, well to round it out, what, what would you um I mean aside from any other events perhaps that we've sort of glossed over or missed, um what, what do you sort of think the uh, the legacy uh, of the igloo is? I mean, I, I'm also curious too is how the igloo got its got its nickname. Obviously it's its look, but I mean, you know, a, a stainless steel retractable roof doesn't necessarily qualify it to be an igloo per se, I guess, but um
2: yeah. I, I think it was a combination of, of the penguins being its major tenant. And, and, uh, um, and the look of it is, is what really brought around the name uh, of the igloo. Um, and it was appropriate. I mean, it, it really, you look at it, that's what you think. Um, you know, you got, I mean, still today, although, you know, I, I wouldn't never want it not to be called the penguins, you know, in the six in the late sixties, when it was, name the penguins people wondered what the, what the heck they, they were thinking. Um, and, and I think that all that, it was kind of a joke of a name at first uh, with, with the way the place looked and, and it seemed just appropriate to call it the igloo at that point. But um, that, that that's really what caused it. But you, you know, you, you just, the, the fondness uh, of how it ended up. I mean, it's last 20 years were really probably its best, um, it's best in the run, and it was, you know. Although I love sitting in, and and being in uh, with the amenities in the PPG uh, Arena, and certainly the Penguins have uh, uh, ended up selling out over 600 straight games um, there. You kind of miss the place. You miss the place because of the memories. You you, you miss the place because of the character of it. Um, it was a special place.
0: There was um, a bit of a a controversy near its end when it was decided it was going to be uh, uh, demolished, torn down, and obviously the new PPG Paints arena nearby. Um, uh, It it qualified for national historic status, or could have qualified. It seems to me like there were some efforts made, some Herculean efforts made, to kind of somehow, I don't know, keep it either alive or somehow otherwise um, around or commemorated um, yeah but it kind of yes. didn't sort of plan uh, f- uh, flesh out that way uh, any insight as to sort of what was going on around the time and maybe even what was conceived as being maybe uses for the stadium after it was decided it was no longer you know uh, viable for NHL use so to speak because of, of its size et cetera. Mm-hmm.
2: There were there were thoughts. I mean, keeping a skating arena inside, but um, there there were plans of a shopping center. There were plans of a business park um, within its walls. There were a lot of different angles they were they were trying to do to to make it viable. But I mean, it was valuable property, and and um, part of the agreement uh, with the Penguins was um, for them to sign such a long lease was they would be part of the development and, and reap the profits of the development. And, and inevitably, I believe that's what caused all those historical thoughts to go away. Um, and strangely enough, it has taken their now, what, 11 years later after the place uh, closed, they're now finally getting to develop it. Um, so that that lot has been sitting there empty for, for 11 years. Um, but that's that was the whole thing of it is is you know just the viability of of what the Penguins had envisioned um, for developing that area and what uh, what the historical people did and money is going to win out and that's eventually what won out. Um, on the north side of Pittsburgh is where Heinz Field and PNC Park are. When it was Three or Stadium, there was nothing over there and it really was useless. So the Penguins and and or the Pirates and Steelers made an agreement that they would develop and have a piece of the development of um, the North Side in 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 between the stadiums, and it has grown into such a fabulous place to be now, with a casino, with restaurants, with hotels, with um, with shopping area, um, and I think that's really what the Penguins wanted to take advantage of, and, and we are finally getting the opportunity. In fact, I think that was probably one of the things that made it so viable for the fenway park group which uh, officially have taken over or have purchased the penguins as of today um it still has to get ncl approval but that shouldn't that should happen but that's part of the most intriguing part of why the fenway group wanted it i believe is because of the development of of the land that's about to take place there
0: all right well let's wrap up here's the most important question uh, given all the teams that, uh, called the, uh, the Igloo home, um, what happens to the history of all of those teams that are no longer around and, and especially those teams like the Pipers in 60, uh, 68, like, uh, the... Uh, the triangles in 75 like the um uh, uh uh you know and i guess maybe even uh some of the other minor league teams where do those banners those histories those commemorations those memories um where are they if you will enshrined or where where should they live right cuz the the uh, the civic center's not there anymore and obviously the 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 Pittsburgh Penguins probably took all their stuff with them to PPG. Where does all that other stuff live, or should it live?
2: They did. They're actually um, in PPG. They they do an homage to the um, the Hornets and um, and the Duquesne Gardens, but they never honored those teams when they won the championships. In fact, until the Penguins won uh, the division, the Patrick Division title in 1991, which was their first title of any kind, there was no banners in the arena. Um, so they never had commemorated uh, the Pipers. They never had commemorated the um, the triangles within the arena. Um, the only commemoration we have right now is in the, um, the John Hines uh, Western Pennsylvania Sports Museum um, where they have the first ABA um, uh, trophy that was awarded to them there, but it should be, um, if all rights are all things, it it should be hung in the rafters of of the PPG place because it, I mean you're a street away. I mean they virtually built PPG Arena across the street from the Civic Arena, so it's almost on the same ground. Um, and I w- I would love to see, and I think others would love to see commemorations of those teams there, but. Um, but they never, never had commemorated those. And that's that's a shame.
0: Yeah. Lots of great sports memories that uh, were uh, not only, of course, the Penguins for sure, but um, they're the only ones kind of really still standing in that in that new arena. All the others, all the others have sort of come and gone. And there's, there's a ton of memories there, um, you know, and, as well as, you know, the, the the music events and all the other and the Pittsburgh Pisces, right? Arguably, that should have a little bit of place somewhere too. None of that exists in a physical physical world, and that's that's a sh- that's a shame because, in essence, uh, you know, as the igloo went, I, so does the memories of all these teams and leagues.
2: Well, and and to tell you the truth, that's part of my inspiration when I when I write books on Pittsburgh sports is is I want people to understand what the Pipers meant at the time. I want people to understand the pittsburgh trying because that was a big deal at the time that was a real big deal at the time in the city um and, and i want to bring those memories back and i i i you know we all in this book wanted to um our own little piece of the puzzle to the to the book we wanted to make sure people remembered uh, gary kin with the soviets coming in and and you know Certainly, the uh, Rich Boyer and Chris Fletcher and Lance Jones with with the concerts, um, Tom Rooney with uh, with the Gladiators, and and his great memories of that. Um, you know, that's a big inspiration, and and I think part of that is because there isn't anything there commemorating it. I mean, I, you know, I know it's a little off subject, but the reason I wrote my book on the 1955 Duquesne Dukes is because I got mad because students thought that them winning the NIT was worthless because of the way the NIT is now and, and the school never promoted the fact they were actually national champions. So that's an inspiration and, and to relive the Pipers, to relive the triangles, to relive the spirit and, and make sure people understand what the gladiators meant at the first. That That is a real inspiration to me when I do these things.
0: All right. Time to promote. Let's uh, talk. Uh, give us uh, the title of this book. Uh, tell us who it's by because it's not just the Dave Finoli show there.
2: No, no, there's a group of us, and, and the majority is is from my alma mater. Uh, we, we had a very good uh, journalism department, so um, we have some good writers there, and we call ourselves the Association of Gentlemen Pittsburgh Journalists. Um, we have uh, a few books um, written, written by this group, um, um, the Civic Arena, Pittsburgh Civic Arena, um, the Three River Stadium book, which was out the year before, same kind of concept. Um, We wrote a book called Unlucky 21, which kind of takes a different look at Pittsburgh sports. Not the best stuff, but kind of the saddest and and toughest times in Pittsburgh sports, which certainly is part of the equation. Um, So we've written those groups. And then um, I I try to do one book myself every year. um, And I just released one on my favorite all-time Pittsburgh team, the 1976 national champion Pittsburgh the panther football team um which released this past monday um and they're done by the history press which is a division of arcadia and um you can if you're in western pennsylvania they're in all bookstores and um for everybody else they're on amazon
0: and we will certainly highlight the um the uh, almost two dozen other books right how many you're up to now on your own uh, i
2: just i just started um I just started the 36 and probably of those 32 or three were on my own.
0: All right. So, so what's left then, Dave, what other, what other either Pittsburgh sports stories or, or, or just books generally do you have in you? I mean, maybe I stirred up a couple of memories of of a few of them perhaps.
2: Well, we, we, um, the group, um, is working on a book now we just signed a contract to write a book on, Um, We call it uh, Integrating Pittsburgh Sports. And uh, so much in the integration of sports in this country occurred in in Western Pennsylvania. And, you know, we're going to take 33 chapters on that, um, a group of about six or seven. The association is going to do that. Um, We just finished a book on um, which will be out uh, the early part of 2022. Um, We call it the epicenter of of Pittsburgh sports. There was uh, uh, three of us uh, that had done that one um Actually, four of us did that one. And um that basically encompasses sports in the city between 1910 and 1960, where Forbes Field, Pitt Stadium, Duquesne Gardens, and the Fitzgerald Fieldhouse were all within two blocks, three blocks of each other, all within walking distance of each other. And we thought it was kind of neat that. Literally, I mean, the day Forbes Field opened, the heavyweight champion of the world, Jack Johnson, fought at Duquesne Gardens. So fans just walked over from Forbes Field to the Duquesne Gardens to, to watch that. And, they, you know, we thought that was an interesting thing. So we have those two things going now. And trust me, there's there there's a lot in there uh, uh, that's still left to write about uh, in Pittsburgh sports. I have about five or six uh, other subjects uh, on my on my little uh tote board uh, to attack real soon
0: holy finoli what a story and uh, what great memories and and what a fantastic book again uh it uh, is a must-have uh if you're a pittsburgh sports fan or, or frankly just a fan and remember Maybe your uh, favorite uh, indoor team uh, would play at Pittsburgh's Civic Arena, the Igloo, perhaps the Mellon Arena. You might remember it that way. Uh, But the book is great. Uh, Again, it's called Pittsburgh's Civic Arena Stories from the Igloo. It is edited in chief uh, by our guest this week, Dave Finoli, but uh, it is uh, actually authored uh, by officially uh, known as the Association of Gentlemen Pittsburgh Journalists. I love the uh, the uh, uh, the definition there of of this group of folks, and uh, there's just about every team and situation and event that ever happened in this arena that is is, is mentioned and uh, uh, detailed in this book. Uh, not only Dave Finoli with some great writing, but uh, folks like Jack Matheson, uh, Tom Rooney, uh, Chris Fletcher, Paul Alexander, John Wodowiak. Um, Let's see who else: Gary Kin john w franco uh, has some uh, entries in there lance jones with a few stories rich boyer who else is in there uh josh taylor did i mention him how about frank garland with a few stories um I, let me see I, robert healy third. a bunch of wrestling and boxing memories douglas cavanaugh um let's see we, who else just to keep on, keep on, keeping it on. I think that's it. I might have forgotten a few. But all those gentlemen uh, have uh, just, a, it's a great book. you got to get it. It's fantastic. And if you remember any of these uh, teams from the Pittsburgh Triangles all the way up to the Pittsburgh Penguins and everybody in between, you're going to love the book. Makes a great gift. And, of course, uh, you can find uh, a convenient link on our website at GoodSeatsStillAvailable.com. Just search up this episode number 242 with Dave Finoli, and you'll find that convenient link to Amazon to get it in Kindle form, in paperback form, uh, or, and or, frankly, in the fastest uh, way that you'd like to get it. Uh, of course, you can you know visit your local bookstore. Perhaps they can order it for you, too. Uh, but Amazon, of course, the quickest and uh, probably most comprehensive place uh, to get it for yourself or as a gift uh, for that Pittsburgh sports fan in your life. And of course, we get a couple of shekels of referral love. So we thank you for doing it that way. Uh, and uh, let's see, you can follow Dave Finoli uh, and his exploits. And, and again, he's uh, I, he's got, I would say, over at least almost, I think about three dozen or so books about uh, Pittsburgh and sports and, and the various permutations of that and more to come you can follow him on twitter at d finoli, that's d as in david f-i-n-o-l-i at d finoli. uh and uh, there are a whole bunch of facebook pages devoted to the various books and teams and situations of pittsburgh sports as well so you can search up dave uh there on multiple places on facebook and um, what else? While you're online, why don't you bookmark our website? Why don't you at GoodSeatsStillAvailable.com? You can also send us email at hello at GoodSeatsStillAvailable.com. You can follow us on social media as well. On Facebook, you'll find us at Good Seats Still Available. On Instagram, you'll find us at Good Seats Still Available. And on Twitter, you'll find us at Good Seats Still. Uh, let's see. Also on the website, you'll find a link somewhere in there. Uh, to uh, send us uh, a uh, an email address and your name, so you can get on our email uh, weekly uh, email newsletter. Yeah, that's what I'm trying to say. We send that out every weekend and give you a little bit of a head start of what's going to be uh, the episode uh, forthcoming. And uh, what else? How about a uh, tip of the Pittsburgh uh, Penguins um, cap this week? To shall we? To our pal Jerry Payne, Jerry Payne Audio Excellence. Thank you, kind sir for all your efforts this week. And uh, thank you, great listeners, uh, for listening thus far and uh, more fun and frivolity coming your way next week. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends. And uh, until then, next week, we will see you. Bye. Bye.